Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey, everybody, this is Pascal. I am super, super excited to be here with Gisbert Rühl. Gisbert is the former CEO, longtime CEO of a German company called Klöckner, one of the top 10 largest companies in Germany. It's a steel company. And before you stop listening, They have done absolutely amazing, amazing things in the innovation and disruption space. And Gisbert and I met a couple years ago, I think through Singularity University originally, and we talked about the work they've been doing in the innovation and disruption space. That work has been memorialized by many, many, many case studies, by many, many, many business schools, which most of them I have actually read, and they're super, super fascinating. So there is so much to be said about the work which Gisbert and his team, of course, have done over at Klöckner. Gisbert, so good to have you here. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Gisbert, first question I have for you is, and I like to start there, is how do you, in your world, define innovation and disruption? How do you think about this? I think uh, innovation and disruption is clearly something different. Huh? So innovation is for myself when you replace something old with uh, something new but disruption is much more disruption is the displacement of existing traditional business models or products technologies uh, or services by innovations that are better faster and cheaper now so that's a bit broader than the original definition of k christensen but i think this original anyhow too narrow because of all these new technologies. So originally, the disruption came always from the bottom, but with all these uh, technologies, with all these developments, disruption, meanwhile, comes from all, all sides, in my point of view. That being said, and you working or your company originally working in one of the oldest industries, the oldest like manufacturing industries, making steel. How did you think about this when you uh, took the helm over at Klöckner? Yeah, disruption in such an uh, old industry and also the company itself is, by the way, 115 years old, meanwhile, is, of course, uh, challenging because no one likes it. No one likes changes even, and, and no one, of course, likes disruption. Investors uh, don't like it because they are typically to, to um, short-term oriented. Executives and employees fear to lose their jobs or their bonuses. And uh, so you, in principle, you have everyone against it. And uh, often it's also the case uh, that the current business model might uh, work very well. Uh, for instance, when you look to the uh, automotive industry, German automotive industry, they're earning tons of money currently in China with combustion engines. And now they started to switch slowly to electric cars. But even this is not disruption. This is, in my point, innovation. Disruption here comes from autonomous cars. And an, an autonomous car will be something completely different than a current car. And uh, now deciding uh, to really disrupt your current uh, well-doing business 
is a very tough decision. And it's uh, also a question how it might work. You know? So only saying, okay, we now displace all the old uh, with new is also probably not working. You need a transition. Huh? Even, even in disruption, you need a kind of transition to this new business model. I remember you telling me the story of when we sat in Silicon Valley together. You're telling me the story about how you went about this at Klockner. And I think it's a really illustrative example of how to think about this and how to turn it into action. Would you mind retelling a little bit the story of how did you, when you, you know, came into the CEO position at Klockner and really thinking about what's next for a a very old, traditional, very established steel company. How did you go about that? Yeah, so it, it was clear that our old business model uh, really will not really work uh, mid or long term. And uh, I then went, first of all, to the Silicon Valley. And But when I came back, I learned a lot, for instance, about platforms and about uh, platform disruption. But it was also quite clear for me that Klockner might not be successful doing it out of the Silicon Valley. And uh, then I went to Berlin. And there we decided more or less immediately to set up a new company, a company which then should disrupt our our own business. And I think this is, by the way, also the way how it works in traditional industries. Doing it really from within uh, will probably not work, uh, but setting up a new entity and uh, which then uh, should disrupt current business model, not everything at once but 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 step by step current current business models that's how it worked with uh, now so we started to develop new tools we started uh, to develop new platforms in berlin and then uh, step by step we implemented uh, them on the traditional side and replaced existing models on the traditional side The challenge is here to make sure that this entity is on the one side really disrupted, so to a certain extent independent, but then on the other side, you also have to leverage what you have on the traditional side, the know-how, the customer and supplier relationships and all this stuff. And this took took also for us, this took, I would say, two or three years until we found the right balance between these two companies. In many ways, you did this core edge strategy. And what I'm hearing is that you're advocating, at least if you were in a really disrupt, that you have to separate core and edge. I wonder, how did the core feel about this? It's kind of a weird thing to start this other thing and basically saying, I'm, I'm going to start this edge initiative and their sole purpose is to disrupt us. In the beginning, you, of course, have also this not invented here issue and uh, problem. And it takes also strong leadership. No? So you really have to make sure also to your people on the traditional side that whatever happens, that you will go this new way and that you will disrupt the current business model wherever uh, necessary. And uh, you have to communicate a lot. Now, so for instance, we had, we were already five or six years ago, we started to use Yammer from Microsoft for an internal hierarchy-free communication. That was also important because only with this, I was able to get in touch also with all my people. And we also started um, a digital academy because we were saying to our people, look, in the new world of tomorrow, you all need to a certain extent digital know-how and we had to get this know-how. And our people had the right during working hours to do digital courses. And with this, 
we were uh, also able to increase the digital IQ of the company and uh, the company and the people were getting more and more open to this new um, business model. But then when it comes to reality, it's of, of course not easy. Uh, Francis, last year, not necessarily because of the pandemic, we slashed uh, 15% of our jobs because we automated, meanwhile, a lot of our core processes. But also this needs an in advance a lot of communication that you're saying to your people, look, when you are willing to transform yourself, you also have a future within the Klockner organization. When you don't want to transform yourself, it might be uh, difficult going forward. So there is not one big thing. I think it's uh, there are a lot of also smaller steps and issues which uh, are needed to be successful. If you were to, with everything you know now and having gone through this, this process, which also... It took a while, right? It's not something you could do overnight. It took longer than expected. Now, when when we started in 2014, I was uh, convinced that we that it needs some time, but but not six years. Now, so it took in the end, it it, it took uh, definitely longer than expected. How did you make sure that your Klockner being a publicly traded company that the that your investors didn't, you know, like start screaming at you because yeah. I, I hear a lot with when I talk to publicly traded companies, man, they've got, they are under so much pressure from from short term thinking investors. Yeah, that's an issue, of course. Uh, but here also communication helps. So what uh, I started very early to explain what we're going to do going forward. And they don't took it very serious in the beginning. And after a while, they were saying at least it might be a, some kind of a wild card when it works. And the acceptance took also here, I would say, five years. No? So now, meanwhile, it's absolutely not a discussion and not an issue anymore. But also here, you have to be persistent in the end. Now, I, I think I've seen also... Many, also in other companies, attempts to really, where people really try to disrupt or change the company. And after two years, they came up with a new idea. When you are convinced that this is the right way, you have to be persistent, whatever happens. And also, by the way, the supervisory board was also, of course, skeptical in the beginning. But here I also make clear, when you want to keep me, when you want me as a CEO, going forward, you get me only with this digital disruption. And persistence helps. But the big problem is that the success takes a while. So really, in the first couple of years, we only invested. And the success came after five years. And now it's there. And now I left the company, I think, in a stage where also my successor is really taking and, and leveraging what we have done in the past. I'm curious, when I spoke to Alvaro over at Breca, he talked a lot about when they went through a similar process for Grupo Breca, and he talked about getting to these initial quick wins to start building the story, start building the momentum. It sounds like you weren't even too worried about getting the quick wins. It sounded like you were really committed to the, the long-term path. No. Quick wins, I think we, we also had quick wins, but they had no real impact on the whole because they were too small. And so they were there. Yeah. But for instance, investors were saying at the end, look, yeah, it might be uh, good that you have this, that tool and, and that it works pretty well and that you implemented a good idea. But I don't see anything uh, bottom line. 
And, and therefore, these quick wins probably helped somewhat internally, but not really externally, because there was nothing visible before these first five years were over. That's consistent with what Alvaro said as well. He made it clear, bottom line, they didn't help, but it, they helped him yeah. at least communicate. When you're looking back at the journey you've taken, if you were to distill out the, the success factors and if you were to find yourself in a situation where you would need to do this again, different company, maybe, what would be the main lessons learned you would pull out of this and basically say, this is the stuff you really need to do or put into place for this to be successful? Yeah, I think first of all, what I learned in the beginning was this different approach. So this lean startup, I would say, approach. So starting with an MVP and then improving the MVP together with uh, customers and uh, suppliers. I think that this was a very, very important learning in the beginning because as corporate, we typically did it differently. And we, we typically had this waterfall model and then where we wanted to cover everything from the beginning and so on. And this, uh, that's probably what would not have worked. And uh, secondly, then what I uh, just was just saying, persist, being persistent, and don't give up even if you fail. So we failed also here and we had to pivot here also with our, for instance, with our independent platform, XOM, we had to make a significant pivot to make uh, XOM in the end successful. And then communication is extremely important. You have to communicate all the time, especially also internally to, to your people, at least on a weekly basis and more different also than in the past. So I, I did it very often, very spontaneous through Yammer, also not by only communicating, by only also discussing certain things with, with my um, uh, people. And then this digital academy, in a way uh, that when you're saying to your people, look, uh, everything uh, will change and you have to change yourself and transform yourself too, you have to help them. Uh, you not, cannot only say, okay, things are changing. And so you have to help them. And uh, I think this, these all together were, were the, uh, finally the uh, success uh, uh, factors. What do you think are the stones we, we trip over? What is the stuff which gets in our way when we have well-meaning managers, CEOs, leaders, boards trying to do this kind of work and then still stumbling? The main thing is, uh, is probably that in the beginning, at least in the beginning, everyone is against it. No? So that is a big hurdle. No? Uh, stakeholders, investors, your management team is probably also against it in the, in the beginning. Your people anyhow, because no one really likes uh, even change. No? And also the outside. So there is no one really, even in your industry, also other companies were saying, okay, this guy might be getting somewhat crazy with all this digital uh, one wants to implement in our industry. So that's the biggest hurdle, I think, in the beginning. So for instance, I just read two days ago that the German car manufacturer also uh, decided one year ago, might have been anyhow a bit late, but one year ago to set up a separate innovation company or disruption company uh, for autonomous cars. And now after one year, the company was integrated again. So that is also what I've seen very often. Also that companies in the US might have done it in the Silicon Valley. I have seen it a lot of times in Berlin. And then after a year, it was integrated and everyone was saying, oh, it was great, but now we enter into phase two and, and now we're doing everything together again. And so I think then something where, where everyone agrees, but you're moving in the, in the wrong direction. You have to keep 
really to, you have to keep your direction, you know, whatever happens. And when you're not doing it, then you will probably fail somewhere down the road. Let me come back to a point I heard you say now twice, which I find really curious. So this is idea around core and edge, and you know many people talk about this, and there's very different, I heard very different opinions on this. Some, some people say, very similar to you, core edge needs to be very different, the different entities even. And I remember you even telling me that you went to great length to actually even legally separate those entities and get permission to do these kind of things. And then other people say, well, this doesn't work. You need to keep the edge relatively close to the core. It needs to be somewhat integrated. There needs to be a constant transfer of knowledge, insights, products, tools, services, whatever it is. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how you're thinking about this? Yeah, for instance, some this this platform, this industry platform, some through some also competitors can sell their product. And this would, by the way, never work within the company that you selling all of a sudden also the products of your uh, biggest competitors. That only works really definitely in a separate entity. But we also, XOM is a platform with a two-sided platform, buying and selling. So for instance, we also use XOM as a procurement platform. And our people like this platform. And so we have also, as Klöckner, we have an advantage. Also, our people have an advantage from having the platform, despite the fact that the platform can also be, on, on the other side, disruptive to our business because competitors have the same rights, by the way, on the platform. And the platform is completely legally separated. We get the permission of the German cartel authorities to have such a platform, but only by putting a Chinese wall between Klockner and the platform. So there is, to a certain extent, also, of course, knowledge transfer. So we develop this procurement tool together with our people, with have an advantage of the platform despite the fact that the platform is also disruptive so you have to find your way but some never had uh, have had a chance within or close when when they were too close to the Klockner organization then we have Klockner.i. Klockner.i is our innovation innovation platform in berlin somewhere i would say between from independence between XOM and between Klockner. But we kept also uh, Klockner.i at least in the first couple of years uh, relatively independent on the one side, but on the other side, we managed also know-how transfer. So I think it, 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 it can work, but here I would say finally also you have to engage yourself as a CEO to make sure that this works. When you don't engage yourself as a CEO, when you don't clearly saying, so that's how we want to do it going forward and how the relationship should be going forward. And when you don't manage it, uh, then it uh, might not work. But you have to find your way. There is maybe not one way, but I think when these platforms are too close, then they will might be innovative, but they never will be disruptive. I'm curious, a lot of what I know about your work and what Klockner has done and also what you just talked about really comes down to the leadership and it comes down to the top leadership and the courage you as a CEO had to take. I mean, at the end of the day, it's literally your neck on the line. And this could have gone horribly wrong and shareholders revolt. How do you think about the role of leadership here and their willingness to take those risks? Yeah, it's interesting. I also had this discussion, of course, with uh, colleagues. And uh, here even, it might also to a certain extent, age might help. Huh? Mm. Because my age, I really 
was being now 62. So when I started uh, this uh, disruption, I was uh, 56. I might not have, or the risk to lose that much is of course smaller uh, than when you are 40. And often we're saying, look, we need this younger management to disrupt, but it might also be different. It might also be that when there is someone uh, older and more independent. So I was completely independent uh, doing it. When you really are still dependent and also dependent to make a career, it might be even uh, more uh, difficult. Uh, and uh, But you have to be courageous. No? So there's no doubt about. And you also have to train, of course, your management team. Uh, so we invested also a lot of training for our uh, first and second level um, management. So it's uh, you have to be the leader on the one side, but without a team, it will also definitely not work on uh, the other side. And in the I would say in the last uh, two or three years, it was also more and more the team itself who were pushing things uh, forward. Did you do something specific to create safety for them? Because presumably a lot of people in your team were younger, earlier in their careers. For them, following your courageous leader might be a risk career-wise. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, so. I don't give gave them safety, to be honest, but I gave them the opportunity to learn really very fast and to improve also very. I just had, had one of my guys you know, three days ago uh, coming here and he wanted to thank, thank me uh, for all he was able to do and uh, to manage and how to improve himself in the last um, couple of years, I think this is what you can give them. Now, not safety, but the opportunity to grow very fast. And, and that might not work for everyone, but I think especially in the last two or three years in the Klockner organization, most of them appreciated the opportunity really to, to learn and grow. Second to last question. This one stood out to me when I first met you, probably as a background for those who are not super familiar with German business culture, where I grew up in, of course, it's fairly formal. You typically have a, a level of respect where you talk to each other on last name terms. And I remember very distinctly you walking into the office and saying, hi, I'm Giesbert. And in my head, I was like, wait, this is different. This is not what I was expecting. The CEO of one of the top 10 largest companies in Germany coming to me and essentially starting the conversation by first name. It, clearly, you thought about this. I, I, I think this was a, clearly a deliberate act for you. How do you think about culture? Yeah, uh, culture, uh, culture is, of course, also extremely important. So I was also, I would say 10 years ago, I was also pretty much like every German CEO and things. So you also have to transform yourself. So without this, it doesn't work. And I learned this in the startup scene in Berlin. Currently, I'm an angel investor and I have a lot of to do with venture capital people. So they are all younger. They are 20, 30 years younger than myself. And what I learned is that age doesn't matter when you can contribute something when you are interesting and when you can contribute but i also learned that this whole world is much less uh, formal and meanwhile when i get in touch with someone new i'm immediately do it by first name i'm now always the oldest and there's a rule in germany that at the older one you can, you can go forward with uh, with first name or the first name and meanwhile i do it with everyone but culture is really important and we invested a lot in culture. i honestly in the beginning i under underestimated it i i thought it 
it's more technology and and but technology without culture doesn't really work that was my experience and so therefore culture is really definitely a, a very important topic to drive change or disruption Gisbert, last question I have for you is, this is typically my last question for all my interviewees, because I'm curious, outside of Klöckner, where this clearly worked, how much do you think this is actually even possible for most companies? This idea of really stepping boldly into the future, transforming themselves, doing something very disruptive. If you're thinking about other big corporations, how realistic is that? Yeah, I think the, the issue is that it's, necessary. No? So for instance, in, in Germany, the automotive industry is extremely important for the German economy. And when the, when the German automotive company is really not starting to disrupt themselves. No? So currently, it's not, in my point of view, it's not disruption, it's switching from combustion engine to electric engine, and, and having more software in the car, there's not really disruption. But uh, uh, disruption comes with auto autonomous cars and autonomous cars will come. I, I think there is no doubt anymore. And so when they don't disrupt their business, they will end up like German companies and other industries, in the media industry, for instance. Here, a good example is Axel Springer. Axel Springer really disrupted also uh, themselves. And they are now, I would say, the most successful German uh, media company where others have uh, really difficulties and lost the position they had 10 or 20 years ago and that could also be then in the end happen with the German automotive industry when they not really start to disrupt. Giesbert, on those wise words, my mind is blown. This was an absolutely incredible uh, conversation. I learned a lot. I learned so much about your thinking in terms of core and edge, the relevance of culture, the courageous leadership, but also just the, the practicalities on how to make this work and bring your people forward, educate them. I learned from you that it's really important to give your people also the opportunity to learn through, for example, in your case, the academy. So thank you so much. I think this was incredibly insightful. And I know that you are onto amazing new things. I personally cannot wait to see what, what, what ruckus you're going to make in the world going forward. So thank you so much. It was amazing. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much. We keep in touch, of course. <laughs> Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. Also know that this is part of an effort of us writing a book about disruption. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled towards that. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and just like this. Um, there's some weird algorithm thing, which, you know, if you like it, they will like us. So do me a favor, do that. And if you've got any questions, any comments, anyone I should talk to, drop us an email. Um, easiest email address for me to reach it is P, just the letter P, at finet.com. With that being said, thank you so much for listening and I will hear you here soon.